Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. Overtime is our weekly podcast where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into the weekend message. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, what we hope is that you are challenged and encouraged by our discussion today. We always want to encourage you that if you have questions regarding the message or just questions in general, that you can email them to us or text them to us. Email is overtime at clcfamily.church, or if you text 610-869-2140, you'll be able to text your questions there. So we're pretty excited for that. We usually will give you kind of some announcements before we jump into kind of the what we talk about over the weekend. So two things I just want to highlight really quick. Number two. one is that we now have a maskless option for those of you wanting to join in person. We know that for many of you, we're looking to kind of be a part of the church service in, indoors, but weren't really excited about wearing a mask. A mask for an hour and a half, don't want to do it. We understand. Yeah, we, we get that. Yeah. So we now have an option in our balcony that you can actually join us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock and not have to wear a mask. What we would ask is that as you make your way into the building, as you make your way around the building, and as you make your way to your seats, the balcony area is where you can actually remove your mask. But keep that mask on until you find your seat. Try and stay socially distant. But once you're there, you can remove your mask and then you can view the service from there, participate in that. There's kind of a long reason or how we got to this. If you want to, you can check out the vision video by clcfamily.church slash vision. You can kind of hear all the details if you're interested in that. But we now have the maskless option. The other thing that I just want to draw to your attention is that if you are interested in ordering anything from the Big Yellow Mug, Big Yellow Mug is the coffee shop that we have here at the church. What we want to encourage you to do is you can use the order online option at bigyellowmug.com. You can just simply go on there, hit a click couple buttons, hit send, uh, and it will submit your order and we'll give you pickup time that you can do that. So we want to encourage you, check that out if you haven't done so already. Sundays can get a little bit chaotic. There's a lot of orders. It's kind of our, our highest selling day. So we want to encourage you to go ahead and use that because that might help alleviate some of the traffic flow that we're seeing. And uh, your uh, time wouldn't get in and worship. So yeah. you do that, be ready ahead of time. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So yeah. be lots of fun. So with that, that's kind of all the announcements that we have. As always, if you have questions, I would encourage you to check out our website and let us know if there's anything that we can answer. But we are in week four. This was Mother's Day this past uh, weekend. So happy Mother's Day. It's late. Yeah, yeah. Happy belated Mother's Day. Um, and we were in week four of the I'm In series, which is kind of bigger picture as a part of the Luke series. Um, but do you want to kind of give us a recap of what we talked about? Yes, Ben, I'd love to. So uh, this week, uh, so we're in uh, week four of a seven-week series. So if you imagine how that kind of was a little climb, we're kind of right now at the top, and we're about to start heading downhill, meaning we've been doing the, the slow, arduous climb up the hill. We're 44, 43, 42, some, some amount of weeks into this series. And um, so the whole idea of the I'm In series is the way by which um, faith was meant to be lived was in community. And as you... Gig community, the way that we've described it, it's like those uh, hot coals, hot embers, right? Like the way that you fan out or put out a flame as you separate them, the way that you help a flame burn really hot as you place it all in together. And so what we've been trying to convince you of, it's time. It's just time for you to lean fully in. And this week was kind of the beginning of really seeing that. And um, so what I've been talking about for really a long time now is this whole idea that when Luke writes about the the gospel um, about Jesus' life, and he he says he writes these things. And the guy who wrote it, Luke, you you know this because you've already listened to the sermon, so now you're coming for extra. So uh, Luke tells us that he writes it so that we could have certainty 
on the things we've been taught, right? And so then you go, well, what have we been taught on? Who have we been taught by? So the teacher is Jesus, and what he's taught about is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Not about salvation, not about behavior modification, not about morality, not about sexuality, not even about marriage and your money. While all those things are talked about a little bit, they're all kind of part of a bigger conversation, which is all about the kingdom. And the big idea is the kingdom of heaven is something you can't experience and live in now. It's not someplace you get to when you die. Well, we're grateful that we will be with Jesus forever if we're followers of Christ. It is that we can live in it now. So the big idea this week was, it's time to start living in the kingdom of God, and it's time to start living like Jesus is living through us, because he really is. And that is, um, from the outside looking in, this can get confusing as you look at Christians or non-Christians, because some of the outside, the, you know, the skin would look the same, but the motivation behind the efforts and the actions look different, right? I'm trying to live like Jesus is living through you, which means it's time for us to serve our community, be extenders of grace into our world, go and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, go and meet the needs, deal with the injustices in the world, all those things. But uh, so, but there's many reasons that people try to do all those things and to distill them into kind of two categories. What I told you this week is uh, there's really only two reasons that people try to do good in this world. Either to make themselves great or because they believe they already are, right? You think about really rich benefactors who think they should chime in on every, uh, you know, world circumstance. You already got some billionaires in your mind as you think about that, right? Who go, I am exceptional. I have exceptional gifts. I have exceptional resources. Now let me use my exceptional gifts and resources to do good in this world, right? They're doing good because they think they're great. Or a lot of us are going, well, I should do these things because I have these gifts, I have these resources, and I should use them in a way, efficiency, stewardship, whatever it is, so that we think that somehow in doing that good, we make ourselves great, right? A lot of us either do good because we believe we're already great or we want to make ourselves great, or the other reason, so that's one category, or because we believe Jesus really is great and that he lives through us. So we looked at the passage where we see this weird juxtaposition. The transfiguration has just happened. People saw Jesus in all of his greatness. Just a few of them. Peter, James, and John, they invite, or Jesus invites Moses and Elijah from, you know, centuries past and in, in, into this mix. They see Jesus in all of his greatness. And as soon as they come down the mountain, they're back in the broken, utter despair of the world, and it is just polarizing. Jesus and all of his glory and greatness, and then the evil and despair in this world. And it is a stark, stark contrast, which some of us go, well, if he's so great, why is there evil in this world? And, well, it's not Jesus' fault, right? Like, we're all on this kind of train heading in one direction, and Jesus is the one who shows back up on the planet and go, hey, you can come this direction instead. And a lot of us go, nope, we want to keep heading our direction, and eventually we'll get our wish, but it won't be the wish we want, right? And so, so a lot of people go, why, why does Jesus do these things? Nope, he's not causing the evil, not causing the evil. But the better question is, well, we believe it, evil's there, so what do we do about it? Right? So we can have all sorts of arguments about how good God is, whether he's good, all those kind of things. But all of us would at least agree that there's evil and pain and sorrow and injustices in the world. And then all of us have to go, well, what do we do about it? Can you do enough good to fix it? Right? Can you give enough of your own money, enough of your own ideas to fix it? Nope, you can't. Right, And uh, lead you in this place of hope or despair or frustration or irritation. Right, Or we can go, there's evil in this world and the scriptures seem to imply that there is a uh, 
a ratification of that, like a solution for that evil in the world. And Jesus came to talk about it and teach about it. His kingdom, his kingdom invading earth is how evil is uh, dispelled, removed, right? Light and darkness can't coexist. And so you go, if there's evil in this world, and Jesus is a solution of evil, but Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. What's the solution now? You keep saying it's still Jesus, but how is it Jesus? And that's where I go. That's why we got to do good because we believe Jesus is actually great. And we got to start living like Jesus is in us because he actually is. So get this. The solution for the evil of this world is to replace that evil with the kingdom of heaven. And the way that we do that is by bringing Jesus to every single area of our own life and our own world. And so finally, week four, we get to go, it's time to be in. Let's live like it. And let's actually see some reasons why we wouldn't. So let's deal with the fact that there's evil. And then let's deal with um, our this gravitational pull back to self-preservation and self, you know, declaration and self-worship and self-idolatry and all those things and go back to go. It's time to do good because it's not that we're great, but that Jesus is great and Jesus can do great things through us. So it's the invitation to walk in to the unknown and bring the kingdom with you. Yeah, and this weekend we were able, you actually interviewed Mike and Laura Wooden, which is an amazing couple yeah. in our church. So we always like to encourage you that this is always kind of the second part of the message. We want you to kind of watch, listen to that first part, and then let this be kind of a continuation. Yeah, and you're like, well, I didn't have time for the message. Well, at least skip the 45 minutes in and go yeah. listen to Mike and Laura Wooden. I really Definitely worth do the think it's worth your time in that because what they're doing is pretty pretty awesome, just in foster care and then also Mike running for a no. school board. Like, yeah. So pretty, pretty awesome how God is moving and shaping, and it's... Uh, it's not about Mike running for school board. It wasn't any type of promotion, but just look, looking to see and knowing how good God how is. How do we bring Jesus to every yeah. area of our society, including, including education, including politics? Right, right. Yep. So definitely worth your time. Check that out. You can find that on our website under media. Um, uh, jumping into the, the passage. So we were yep. in Luke 9, verses 37 through 50. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my question is the very first verse on 37. What we see, it says, it says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. Is this saying on the day after they came down from the mountain? Or are they saying they spent the night on the mountain and the following day they came down from the mountain and it happened immediately? Like, I, I wasn't sure as I read that. Yeah, so I think probably what has happened here is... Uh, Christians all in Transfiguration last week, yeah. and so they have this experience. Yeah, probably camp out overnight. Next day, without showers, which, which is also a, part of the reason why Peter was like, "We'll make we'll build, we'll build yeah, tabernacles. Right. We can stay for a while." And it's like, "Look, it's just one night, and they're going back to heaven, <laughs> right?" And it's much more comfortable than that yeah, bad. Right? Sure. So I don't know if you've ever come home from a camping trip. I don't get to talk about this when I preach because I don't have enough time. But like. If you like, we lived in Montana, and so yeah. we camped, and then we've camped here a couple times. And camping's a lot of fun. Yeah. But when you come home from camping, it's miserable because yeah. you're filthy. You just want to shower. And, There's but still like, work to be like, done. Like as an yeah. adult, you you know all the junk that has to be cleaned out, and all the stuff <laughs> that has to be thrown away, and all the kids who. Are, so you just you come home and you're just exhausted from a good time camping. And so it's so funny is here these guys are. Jesus is so fancy, right? Like, like when they worship him in all his glory, they see him in all of his goodness. Yeah. And they come off the mountain. Yeah. Right? Like, they come back from the camping trip. Like, yeah. there was a time that we were camping, and we came back to a busted hot water heater. And it's oh, like, man. our whole basement's flooded. Oh. And it's like, this is worse than that. Yeah. Right? They come back, and there is a demon-possessed yeah. or oppressed little boy. Yeah. I don't know how old, but he's an only child, and it is 
horrific. The sight is horrific, and that's why I showed the painting from Raphael because yeah, you see really this painting. disparity between God's glory and His goodness and the brokenness in the world. And yeah. many of you, that's actually why you really struggle with the idea of God: is how could He be so good and this world be so yeah. bad? How could that happen? There be child molesters. How could that happen and that person do that thing to me? How could that happen and that person carry that gun into that school? Yeah. Right? Like, how could that happen in all, all these wars and all this evil and all these injustices? Right? Yeah. And so. What I love about the scriptures is it's not like it whitewashes those things. Yeah. God in all of his glory and the world in all of its mess. Because the worst of his worst mess, a demon attacking a little boy. Right? This is this is up there higher than a child molester with a little like I mean it's that kind of pain happening to this child. Yeah. And so you go, well, what do you do with it? And so Jesus makes some observations in it. So they all come back. Peter, James, and John have had a good time, and they just are ushered in into a mess. And what's interesting is, like, Moses is up there, which is so funny because Moses has gone up to a mountain before and had some of that glory, right, that right. kind of glory kind of coming down. And he comes back down the mountain, and uh, he goes back to all of his people after being with God, and he's like, oh, I've been a good camping trip. Come back down. And they are like, they literally are bowing down and worshiping a golden yeah. calf. <laughs> And Moses, like, loses it. He grinds it up and makes them drink it. And it's like, oh, my goodness, that's what's going to happen here. So there's been this kind of moment before. These guys would have not thought about the moment with Moses on the mountain, and they're coming back down into yeah. that kind of chaos, right? And that kind of brokenness. So here they do, walk down. And, man, I wish I could have talked about that. I had a 45-minute sermon this week, so I didn't. But it is entering. So next yeah, day. Yeah, I just feel yeah. like it's such an interesting yeah. thing. So they come down the next day, and in my mind, that's exactly how it is. Chaos, like they're literally taking a step off the mountain, and they're going, let's go back up. Yeah. Let's, let's not get into that, but let's like see. Well, and you know, like, the funny thing is, Peter and James and John are up there. Yeah. James and John are brothers. Peter's up there. Now, his brother, remember, Moses leaves his brother down. And he says, yeah. So we got all these kind of things. And so you come back down, and you say, like, Peter's like, Andrew! You know, like, like you know, he's cussing at him between his teeth, like my mom did from the choir loft, and I misbehaved in the church, right? And so, I mean, it's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess, and it's fun to poke fun at, but at the same time, it, but this is real. Like, and it's yeah. devastating. Like, could you imagine this? Like, I could not imagine this yeah. pain with my little boy, you know? Yeah. Uh, So let me continue on. So verse 38 says this, uh, And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Uh, And verse 40 says, And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Uh, So so here's the the cries of a desperate father going, Mm. Jesus, look at my son, like, yeah. do something. Um, but it also, for me, that last one, like, the, he's going, your disciples couldn't. And I don't know if there's any shame or embarrassment in that, but I just imagine that disciples are kind of hanging their head yeah. at this point because we've seen them already be sent out, and they've dealt with demons yeah, already. They, yeah. They've had experiences where they've cast out demons and healed the sick. So now, all of a sudden, this is like an elite level or, I don't know, the next level that they're going well, we don't know what to do. So they're kind of hanging their heads a little bit, maybe embarrassed. This dad's going, man, I was hoping for this, but it wasn't this. And 
Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything more to talk through in that, but in my mind, it's just a, a very Yeah, so picture. what you have here is some unmet expectations, right? We know sure. this. We know unmet expectations lead to disappointment. Disappointment leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to resentment, or, and then resentment leads to contempt, right? It's yeah. just the pattern. That's why you got to deal with unmet expectations on the front end, and frankly, it's one of the things that you see in the church all the time. That person, those people didn't meet my expectations, and so therefore the church is bad. No, those people messed up, not the church, right? Yeah. And so you just see that kind of play out, and you see even in the world, it's like, well, if your God's so great, then why that, right? And so I love Raphael's picture because you really yeah. do see it. You see the finger pointing, and it's like, yeah. oh, boy, is that real? Boy, do I feel it. And I know that we all feel it. Like when we come up to a problem that we can't solve, right, and all of a sudden we look to the person we think can solve it, we give them all of our allegiance, all of our attention, until they let us down, and then that worship of the person we shouldn't have worshipped anyway, or the thing we shouldn't have worshipped anyway, now becomes the thing that we hate the most, and you see it just kind of flip. So you can imagine this guy's coming in, to these disciples going, you're the guys, can't believe it, you're with Jesus, they're here, let's yeah. fix this. So they're so optimistic, and then he's just yeah. seating, like, Jesus, pay attention to this, right? Like, this is like um, whenever you have a customer service call and the person that's on the other side cannot fix the problem but it's a real problem right and you go i just need to talk to your supervisor and then their supervisor so he's literally coming yeah. to the manager yeah. saying he can't they didn't do what they were supposed to do i thought they would do this and so you just see the finger pointing which is mm. candidly where all this goes really really fast this yeah. finger pointing thing and jesus is just going to clean it all up really quick so this guy comes and usually you would think he's on meet it with a lot of compassion and all those kind of things and like i told you scholars are some of them the opinion that he's talking to the the disciples others are of the opinion that he might be addressing the the kid the guy the dad who came because that was the response so he's now responding and others say he's addressing the crowd and i just think he's yeah. addressing it all there is a broken world and the only solution is to invite jesus in to the broken world so while he's about to give a rebuke i would just point out that before the rebuke happens, the right procedure finally takes place. The guy goes to the person who can actually fix the problem, right? Which is Jesus, right? And so he goes to him, and now Jesus is going to offer an assessment of the situation. And the assessment is the same assessment now. Like he literally says, where is it, where is it? Um, uh, yeah, oh, faithless and twisted generation. How yeah. long am I to be with you and bear with you? So he literally... Yeah. Calls out what the problem is. You're faithless, right? And uh, some of the some of the scriptures there would uh, be translated unbelieving. But I like this better than when Jesus asked questions like, "Where is your faith?" Meaning there was faith, you just placed it in something else. He literally is saying faithless, an yeah. unbelieving meaning. This is a group of people who have come to the conclusion that there is no hope. So uh, the wrong faith mm. puts. You know, like I put it myself, I put it in my politician until those things don't work, right? Or my teacher or my spouse or my kids, right? And to my faith is placed in those things until it doesn't work. And then either I have to place it in the right thing or I'm left to a place of hope and despair. And I'd say, look at our country, look at our world, look at the suicide rates, look at the medication rates. And I would just say that is because this isn't a, a, a no longer just a situation where people have misplaced their faith. It's that they no longer have any faith. You know, it's hope deferred, hope deferred, hope deferred, and now it's hopeless. Yeah. So here they are, hopeless, and Jesus is going, you faithless generation. And he calls them distorted, meaning the way that they view the world is not the way 
that the world's actually supposed to be, right? And so this is where I just would offer you. I think this is actually a, a call to the church because we really do. We look at our world right now, and many of us even say things, and we mean it, and I, I get it. Come Jesus quickly, right? Like as if we're declaring that our world is so broken it's beyond repair. Why in the world would Jesus place us in this world and give us a mandate in the scriptures to go and make disciples of all nations and go and let your light shine before men so that people can see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven if there really was no hope? Mm. And we have come to the conclusion that there is no hope and the only solution is somewhere in eternity we'll get to heaven which fixes all the problems, which is what I was taught. Yeah, it's bad, right? It's bad, but one day it'll be better. And these guys are like, it's bad, it's bad. Well, Jesus, we don't know what to do. And Jesus is going, you faithless generation. Why have you not turned your face back towards me and go, the world is broken, but Jesus is great? And so that's what Jesus is kind of chastising right here in this moment. So even in that, I feel like my question in that verse, so that ends. So 41, again, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and to bear with you? But then that those last four words, he says, bring your son here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very curious as to tone like, and obviously we can't really read or interpret that from this, but th- even in that, like, I, I, in my mind, I don't picture Jesus, like, you know, scathing mad and is like, I can't believe I'm putting up with, bring your son here. Yeah. Like, but in a compassionate, like, both yeah. towards his audience and towards this, this young boy. Uh, anything that you can Yeah, yeah. So it's thoughts? really interesting. The whole thing is, like, yeah, he's definitely compassionate. And, yeah. and so you go, know, why is he chastising him? Yeah, right. Like, it well, almost doesn't fit. No, he's, he, is, he is defining the problem, mm. right? He's just defining the problem. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is rebuke. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it, he's defining the problem. He's telling them exactly what the problem is in the world. Yeah. It is a faithless, distorted generation, right? And so he is declaring the problem. The problem. Listen, we live in a faithless, distorted generation. Yeah, me too. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. But your grandparents' generation was also faithless and, and distorted, right? Maybe not in the way that we see it was, but there's still so much brokenness in every generation, right? And so Jesus is looking and defining the problem, and he's saying it out loud so that people can understand that this is a problem. Yep. You're right. We don't know where to put our hope. We just hate each other and yell at each other, and now we've been given our own platforms that we can type at each other with all caps, right? Like, so there is a distorted, broken problem. So all Jesus is doing, like, and you know this, like even with like first aid, one of the first things you have to do is assess the situation. Jesus is assessing the situation. There's a broken, a broken, faithless, distorted generation, right? And so now they got to do something with this. What's really interesting is he tells them what's wrong and then he fixes it. So I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about that in a second. But in Matthew, they actually come to him, I don't know, I assume later and go, hey, what did you mean by that... Uh, we didn't have any faith, right? Like, okay. what, now, what do you mean by that kind of rebuke? And he tells them that they had no faith, right? And then he says, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, yeah. you could tell the mountain, the mountain, and go, and it would, the mountain would move, right? That's literally what it, what it says there. So even this assessment of the situation, obviously, while well, Luke didn't think it was important to share with it in terms of him trying to help us have certainty of the things we've been taught, yeah. uh, Matthew decides that that's an important part from the Holy Spirit. We luckily get them both of going. There's something about Jesus' declaration that at least challenges the disciples, probably a lot more people, and hopefully us, to look inward and go, well, what is he actually talking about? Mm. Like, what's the actual problem here? And so he's assessed the problem, and the problem is unbelieving faithlessness. Mm. So guess what the solution to that problem is? If faithless is the, the problem, then faithful 
is the solution. And so we got to go, well, what does it mean in this to operate in faith? And then what Jesus is going to do is he's going to show us that he's actually the solution to the problem. Wilde has told us in the past that the way that you get access to his kingdom of heaven here on earth is through faith in him. So faithless, this is a world that you experience. Faithful, there is a there is healing and hope that can be ushered in through our faith in Christ. So that's pretty. So I think he's just assessing the situation right before yeah. he's about to show okay. that he's a solution to it. Okay, I do want to maybe put yeah. a, a bookmark in that. I want to go to one of our our viewers sent this question, and it like you brought up Matthew's account. So oh, yeah, yeah. the Same question thing. that they had was that Luke. Uh, 9, 37 through 43, which is basically what we just read. Um, is that the same account as Matthew 17, 14 through 21? Um, I think so. Uh, so um, the reason I think so, um, transfiguration has just both happened in both. And so one of the things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's called synoptic gospels, okay. meaning you know they're, they're similar and they tell the stories. Now, uh, Luke probably is the most orderly account. He says he gives an orderly account, so chronologically and so right. one of the things you're seeing is different perspectives written to different audiences sometimes for different reasons now Luke is writing all this stuff so that we can have for Theophilus and us to have certainty of the things we've been taught and so what he's trying to help us do is have certainty that Jesus is the Lord yeah. and that Jesus is Savior and that Jesus is the solution to all the brokenness in our world right and so um, in Matthew's account that's where it goes to transfiguration demon possessed boy and then a quick teaching on faith yeah. Right, and this one, Jesus just says, "Faithless, he performs the thing," yeah. and then it goes directly to the migration of our self-preservation and self-idolation that we're going to see happen here. Yeah. So, uh, Matthew's account, same account, I believe, right. uh, because I don't think there's more than one transfiguration in the scriptures. Right. Right. So it would imply that both times he comes on the mountain, this is what he finds yeah. in both stories. Yeah. So, kind of the follow-up yeah. question is: so if that is true, Matthew. Um, in Matthew, Jesus gave more insight to the disciples, as we've kind of already talked about, as to why they were not successful in driving out the Spirit. Besides faith, it appears discernment is needed in praying for such circumstances. Do you have anything else that you would want to add to that or talk about? Mm, yeah, so I, I would agree. So the passage talks about faith, right? Faith is the problem. Here's this testament. It's a faithless generation. Yeah. Here's why you don't have faith. If you had to the faith, tell the mustard seed. Um, faith of mustard seed, tell the mountain to move. And so the question then is, where does prayer and discernment fit into that? Well, uh, I would say prayer and discernment would help you determine whether or not you should tell the mountain to move. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so, I mean, it's really interesting uh, to think about it in this way uh, because uh, Jesus' brother, uh, much, not much later, you know, years, decades later, is going to write and he's going to tell us something that's really, really going to be helpful for our spiritual journey. And it's called wisdom, right? Discernment, wisdom. And he says, hey, you need that. And the way you get it is you ask for it. And yeah. whoever doesn't ask for it isn't going to get it. So first, it starts with asking for wisdom. But then he offers this caveat. And you'll get wisdom unless you ask for the wrong reasons or purposes, yeah. right? And like, I always go back to this stupid story where I'm trying to walk on water as a teenager. Like, I'm 13 years old, and I'm going, okay, I have faith in the mustard seed, I'm going to walk on water. Because I thought somehow my faith would, you know, make, by the way, make me great. Make me walk on water. And it would, and God's not foolish, so he wouldn't do this. It'd be foolish of God to come through in that faithful situation because I wasn't trying to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Right. I was trying to expand my own kingdom. And have a really cool party trick. That's right. Yeah, watch this. You can't do this. I can. Look at this, right? And so so in that, it's like, well, yeah. I really did believe God could do it, right? Yeah. I had all those things, but I didn't 
have a good purpose or reason to do it, right? right. By the way, even the tell the mountain to move, I am convinced that if you've heard from the Lord and that mountain's supposed to move, it might mean you need to grab a shovel. Yeah. Right? That might be where faith is in action. And so the wisdom of discernment and the prayer comes in to go, because Jesus even says this, like, hey, whatever you ask in my name mm. or in my likeness or in my character or in my mission, right? Because we believe he's great. Mm. Whatever makes me great, whatever makes my mission, kingdom of heaven to earth, right? That's his agenda. The reason we know it is he taught us when we pray, that's what we pray, on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever furthers his agenda, he's going to do. That's what. Yeah. So whatever you ask in my name, and meaning if you're trying to achieve my agenda for my reason so that I can be great, I'm coming through for you. So there does require some wisdom and discernment and prayer to go, why am I telling this mountain to move? Why do I want this demon yeah. to come out of this boy? Yeah. Or what am I afraid of? Oh, goodness, if I don't do this, it's going to reflect poorly on me. It doesn't matter about you and I, right? It matters about Jesus' greatness and his goodness and his kingdom being ushered in on this earth. And so it does require some discernment. And when you ask about prayer, the reality is, and I'm really, like these are new muscles for me, I am convinced that we are only tapping into a, a very small portion of what prayer looks like in the scriptures. And we'll talk about this in the month of June. But this idea that prayer is just these requests. I keep giving these requests. I, I just petition to God, and he either says yes or no, puts it in his filing cabinet. Yes or no, puts it in his filing cabinet, right? Or maybe, and you know, whatever it is. But I, I don't think that is the main purpose of prayer. No, it's a part of it. Now, but I think God leverages that purpose of prayer for the main purpose, which is for you to sit, spend time sitting still before the Lord. Learning to discern his voice, learning to be content with him regardless of the circumstances, learning to find joy in him. So prayer is actually the way by which we help discern what God's mission in his kingdom are. What I am learning in life, I care very little about my circumstances these days, good or bad, right? Just had a journey for a year where there's some bad circumstances that were outside of my control that created all sorts of pain, right? Just a bad year. And it taught me to sit still before the Lord and go, you are my joy and you're my satisfaction and you are my purpose, right? And so what prayer does is it helps align our heart with God's heart. Then when we start making these requests, because they're aligned with God's heart and Jesus' mission, then of course he's going to do those, right? But prayer is how we align our hearts with God. It's a lot more listening and a lot less talking. It's a lot more being comfortable just sitting still in the presence of the almighty, perfect, holy God, I just was reminding the staff today in prayer, like it literally David says, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. That's what prayer is. And so prayer is the way by which we finally get aligned with Jesus's mission of bringing this kingdom of heaven to earth. And so, yeah, it makes sense. As you pray and discern, you know whether or not you should tell that mountain to move because you've heard from God and you're going to do what he says. So. Uh, there's two other questions that I that yeah. kind of are, are separate, not directly tied into the message, but I want to go ahead and ask them here. Um, and this is just kind of any thoughts or any additional insights. So it's kind of a question, but also a little bit of a statement. It says, um, I've seen the word generation used in the Bible. It seems that this word is not necessarily being used in the Bible in the way that we use it today. I, I can't just quite wrap my head around what Jesus may be referring to when he uses this word. Nowadays, in general, we use generation to mean a group of people who are born in a certain time frame, whereas Jesus does not seem to be referring to an age group when using generation. Any insight? Yeah, so that's a, a, a good question. And so, yeah, so I candidly, I think Jesus, it, like, 
So we, when you think of generation, you think of the boomer generation or the, or the millennials or the xennials or the generation X or now the generation Y or now the Zoomers, right? And uh, it can be dangerous because it's a classification of people that fit certain birth range, right? Yeah, right. And so I don't think when you look at, at the generations that Jesus refers to in the scriptures in the Greek, I think it can mean like an entire race of people. Mm-hmm. Or it can mean a generation in one family, like genealogy, right? right? right. And so, but what it does seem to apply, which I think is similar in what uh, we try to do with St. All, which isn't the case, but we, we do these large brushstrokes of different uh, groups of people. The millennials all think this, do this. The boomers all think this and do this, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it almost, in fact, every time we use a nail, it's almost almost always as a pejorative, yeah. right? It's always like, oh, okay, boomer. You know, right, like those right. kind of things are okay. Yeah, millennials, you don't really care. Like, and I used to make the, you know, a, a joke that a millennial hipster was someone, this is Mark Driscoll's joke, and it's hilarious. And he, he would say, a millennial hipster, or maybe he just said hipster, but I'll just go in millennial there. A millennial hipster is someone who dresses like his grandfather, but doesn't have his work ethic, yeah. right? And even that. Terrible pejorative, yeah. not yeah. true. And if you're a millennial, you're like, how dare you, yeah. Brian? I'm going to post about that online. Yeah, you will. See what I did there? I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, I'm not. But you know what I'm saying. And so, as you kinda, I'm not laughing. Yeah, as you Sorry. think about those things. So, what Jesus is addressing here. So, when he talks about generations, and then he's, I mean, he is clumping some people. So he's making yeah. some generalizations. But what it seems like he's talking about now is just, I mean, he's making a, he is making a broad stroke about yeah. all of humanity. Hmm. And so when, a lot of times when you see the word generation show up in the scriptures, it's actually talking about a, a period of time, right? Like yeah. in the here and now. And so what he is saying, and I think this is why I love God's scriptures because they're both timely, as I tell you, and timeless. Like I think you could read this, and when it says the very same thing, faithless and twisted generation, while he knew that first century Jews and Greeks were going to hear this and while they viewed it from different perspectives the Logos one thought it was they just had to see more miracles and hear more words from God right they would do it and then the Logos like the way alive the Greeks as Paul says just you know want more information right one wants to see more miracles one just wants more information but he's kind of broad stroke and we're going the reality is neither one of those things are going to be the things that are going to help you actually have faith Mm. in me Right, because there's actually an obstacle from faith in me, and it's you and I were the obstacles. So the very same thing that he's addressing. So if I were to go, here's what I think J- Jesus is addressing. I think he's going the generation. He's going this 2021. For everyone who hears these words, I'm talking to them. Yeah. Right. So in this time period, for this these people who hear these things, I am basically, I, I am categorizing every single person who hears this as the people I'm talking to. So in that sense, I think that's what he's using. So it's still a broad stroke generalization. It just probably doesn't, it has has less to do with what year you're born Hmm. than more to do with the culture you're living in and the world you had. Uh, I've got one question. I do want to jump back into the text, um, but this is another question that's not directly connected to it. Um, and just, again, if yeah. you have any thoughts uh, to this. I have them. Um, it says, just wanted to mention that uh, Jesus is being addressed in these, as he's being addressed in these recounts. He's called teacher, rabbi, master, lord, etc. Different translations of the Bible 
and different books of the Bible use different names in the same passage. Jesus never corrects anyone in this. He continues to be who he is and meets the needs of the people before him, revealing God, our Heavenly Father, is re- and is revealing his character. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Because um, we do see a lot of different names of God, right? And a lot yeah. of names of Jesus. Well, and I think the nice thing is they're all encompassing a part yeah. of it, right? And that's why I love even the idea of male and female. God gave us both males and females because he wanted us to get a better picture of who he is. Yeah. That one, you know, demographic wasn't going to give us the whole picture of who he yeah. is, right? And so I would say big pie chart, teacher and rabbi are some of them. Now, bigger part of that would be master. Even across the whole thing would be Lord, yeah. right? And so one of the interesting things here is occasionally he will uh, correct things and go. So he'll say something like, why do you call me master? Yeah, why do you call yeah. me good? Or why do you like, call me good? Yeah. And so there are some moments that he takes those things to take their language and poke around yeah. in it at times, right? And so luckily Jesus can kind of peer in and kind of, you know, assess the situation better than we can. So this guy is coming in and saying, um, teacher, I beg you. What's interesting here is this would have been a good time for me to go, well, you call me teacher, but you yeah. understand teachers don't do supernatural works. Right. Like right now, you don't really need me as teacher. You need me as magician, yeah. right, or whatever it is. And so, but yeah, I think Jesus is uh, very kind and gentle, pr- particularly to those who are afflicted, yeah. right? So one of the things you see, see throughout the scripture and these things where he's going to Really, really, even if they get it wrong and do, I mean, the people have a very, like we've looked at this all across the board. People don't have a very low view of who Jesus is. They get a piece of the pie, right? Not the yeah. whole pie. And he still responds. He still says your faith has healed you. He does all sorts of stuff. But we're, there seems to be these two categories. And again, this is generalization. Those who seem really, really comfortable, he afflicts. Yeah. He afflicts the comfortable. And then he comforts the afflicted. Yeah. So in this moment, you got two different groups of people. You got this guy who has real affliction, and you got a baby boy or a son who's really afflicted. What's he gonna do? He's gonna usher in his comfort. Now, there's a lot of people who are really, really comfortable. Yeah, it doesn't affect us. We're good. Jesus, it was fine while you're gone because I had a good time. I met a lady, but I guess since you're back now, I'll send her on her way. Whatever that is, there, there are those things, and then those things. What is Jesus gonna do? He's going to bring discomfort, affliction into the mix, so they can feel the tension and go. You're right. I I can't do this on my own. And so I think what you see there is Jesus always responding, but I think it's more less about the language of the words they use and more about the situation in their heart. The reason I know that is when you get all the way over to um, uh, verse 47, but Jesus knowing the reasoning of their hearts. Yeah. Right? And so he is peering into the heart and going, oh, and we'll get to that more. And I think I saw another question that I think will be helpful to talk about that. There is. There is another question. uh, concerning that, so let me let's kind of go back to the text. Jesus just rebukes them, but he says, "Bring your son here." Verse forty-two. It says, "While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him." But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And maybe in forty-three, I'll just read it and then we'll continue on. It says, "And they were all astonished at the majesty of God." Yeah. So I think we can't ever. I mean, I will never let us bypass that word rebuke. Yeah, because I just felt I like he was like chastising, like you, yeah. no, no, bad boy, right? No, no, like you know, in those moments, like where there's like a fight or something, where one guy just so nonchalantly just knocks the other guy out, yeah. or like one guy doesn't even look like he's putting any effort in anything, and the other person just gets slayed and whatever yeah. it is, and I was like, oh no, he didn't. Oh yes, he did. You just got served, whatever. You know, what I'm talking about in those moments, and what in those moments, what the distinguishing factor is is how little value one gives the other, right? right? right. Like, it's just like, 
boy, you know, and just yeah. like a, you shut your mouth, pop, you know, whatever it is. And so, like, that that's where people typically, like, yeah. you know, in that kind of world, trip out or whatever. Like, yeah. that's so crazy, right? And so what you got to see here is Jesus just looks at that thing, you know, and like, this is like these rabid dogs coming at you, right? Yeah. And, like, you freaking out and climbing up a tree, and Jesus just goes, boom, like that, and they just, like, <laughs> scamper off, right? Like, this is the picture of it. So you got to yeah. see when he's using the word rebuke, he is literally going, like, he's literally just saying one word and making that thing have zero yeah. value. This thing that we have given so much value to in our world and so much headspace, Jesus just looks at it, breathes a breath, and yeah. that thing just... It ceases to have any power. And it's like, you've got to see that. Like, we are so consumed with fear and worry and anxiety. And Jesus just speaks life into these things and and rebukes it. And it's like, there is so much power in that rebuke. When we actually are just saying, fear, you have no strength over me. Right? Like, like there's just something so valuable that. And Jesus models that. So I just would say rebuke those things in your life. Rebuke that fear of whether or not you're going to pay the bills or rebuke that anxiety. Like, make sure it does not have the value that it, make sure you define it and put the price tag on it that it actually has, which is zero sum in the long in the long game, right? And so I just think it's so important that he just rebukes it. They're so confused by it, but they can't stay just confused by it because they see the evidence of yeah. it. And so what do they do? They respond in worship. Right? Yeah. They are astonished, which is what worship is. It is, if you're wondering if you're worshiping well, it comes from a place of just sheer astonishment. Like, mm-hmm. how in the world would God hear me right now? Mm-hmm. There's a God over the whole universe. Like, when you pray, right, hopefully it starts with this astonishment. Like, mm-hmm. the God of the universe right now has just turned his ear towards me, and he is delighting in hearing my words right like so it starts with an astonishment like just being totally overwhelmed with the fact that god would even consider you much less make you to find the number of hairs on your head and have a plan for you and walk alongside you even when you didn't know he's there and even when you turned your back on him so they're astonished and what do they do they they look at the majesty of god so they are worshiping him which i think is the precursor to most of the what we're looking for, which is we just want to hear God's voice. And I just say it seems like throughout the scriptures where you really see this, where you see God move, and it starts in a place of worship, right? That's why worship was so important, even in the Old Testament. When when there are battles, there would be a worship leader for the soldiers. What? what? Because they were, they were glorifying and worshiping God because they understood he alone was their source of strength and comfort, right? Yeah. And so as that happens, as they're doing it, Jesus being worshiped, is now going to speak, which is where Jesus speaks. He's worshipped, they're positioned in the right place, and now he's going to speak. And so it's really important that we go, ah, oh, what's he about to say? So, so I want to continue on, but I, I just I want to press in a little bit more. So like in my mind, I'm thinking of the story of the demoniac in, in um, uh, Decapolis, right? Like, So yeah. Legion is yeah. his name. And you, yeah. like he had broken chains. He's living among graves. He's naked. Like Ruined a bunch of pigs. Yeah. Like, so I, I can only, like, I'm trying to imagine what, what is it about this experience that the disciples are so afraid? Is it because they've had experience and they've taken their eyes off of Christ? Like they're, they're not 
because they've healed and they've cast out demons. Like they've done this, they've had yeah. some success in that. No, I'm, I would go ahead and ask that next question because I think they really do fit together. Okay. Because this is where they're talking about, you know, the power of the resurrection. Which yeah. We'll get to that, but I think it's the same reason that you're so asking. So this them. is the the next question. It says, "I suppose, uh, Josh, I suppose that you were referring to Second Corinthians thirteen four when you said that the or same I get Jeremy power... Camp was because <laughs> he wrote the song. But yeah, yeah. Uh, when you said that the same power oh, yeah. that uh, conquered the grave lives in us. In the ESV, that verse reads, although he was weak when he was nailed to the cross, he now lives by the power of God. We are weak just as Christ was, but you will see that uh, we will live by the power of God just as Christ does. And the power within us is greater than that in the world. This is great, but why then are so many Christians prone to wander and um, whose prayer power is so weak? Yeah, so, so we're wondering, about that, yeah. and wondering about the disciples. You're yeah. right. They just were split up in pairs of two, and yeah. they rejoiced. And they're going to be sent up, split up pretty soon again to yeah. go do it again, right. right? And so what in the world is going on? Why are they so forgetful? And they're not forgetful. They just keep having the wrong <coughs> expectations, yeah. right? They keep having these expectations that, ah, oh, here's the guy. He's going to meet my needs. So they yeah. all came in with expectations, right? And someone had expectations that he would get them out of debt. Others had expectations that they'd get their land back. Others had expectations that he would overthrow the government. There is a pattern throughout the scriptures, right? Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, he who comes, comes in the name of the Lord. Six days later, murder him, crucify him, (coughs) right? Blasphemer, like all these things. And they're the same voices. So what happens? And right, that's why I love what Gottman says, John Gottman. I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't think he is. I think he's Jewish, but um, I have no idea. Um, he talks about how he can come in, create an argument for a couple, and with like, and within five minutes determine whether or not they're going to be successful with over ninety percent success rate of whether or not they'll get a divorce later. He go, "Yep, that's a divorce couple," and um, and he says everything has to do with contempt, the ability to look at something with disdain or judgment, right? And you you know that you've seen the couples, you've actually seen where one's talking, the other one's rolling their eyes, you're going, "Oh, that's not healthy," right? And if that's you, I'd say get that stuff cleaned up because it isn't healthy. Right, but we know we can go back and go. Where does contempt come from? I just told you, right? Contempt is birthed out of resentment. Right, you resent resentment leads you to this place of just judgment on everything. Where you no longer trust anything. You're suspicious of everything with that person, that church, that thing, whatever it is. Right. So contempt comes from resentment. Resentment actually is birthed out of this bitterness. Right. And where does bitter? <coughs> Sorry, bitterness is birthed in disappointment, and we know that disappointment always originates with unmet expectations. Think about those times that you expected a gift or expected a call or whatever it is, expected someone to be home at a certain time. That unmet expectation creates a domino effect that leads to bitterness, or disappointment, bitterness, resentment, and then contempt. So what, what happens here is we go from nothing's a big deal to how dare him, he's a terrible human being. So think about this, Palm Sunday, Hosanna, he who comes, comes in the name of the Lord. He is going to strike down Herod. He is going to take back over the temple. He's going to let us in, even though we are broken and can't pay the price for the temple tax, right? He is the one, he is the one, he's the one. Then he gets arrested. He doesn't fight. Yeah. One of his buddies fights, cuts off an ear, and he puts the ear back, right? And then he shows up on trial, and he doesn't even defend himself, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't do those things. And then he gets put up on a cross, right? And he, I mean, he's told to carry his cross first, and he can't even do that deal. He can't even get his own cross to the, the top of the hill, right? He needs help for that. And little by little, you just look and go, this isn't our guy, yeah. right? 
They had this expectation and Jesus didn't meet that expectation. And what I would just challenge us with, it's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for the disciples over and over again. They had an expectation. They had these high mountain moments and they come back down. Wait, there's still demons. I thought we told them to leave. Why do you still let those demons be here if you have all the authority, Jesus, right? So there's just this unmet expectation. What happens with the unmet expectation? We go back to the thing that made us feel comfortable. We resort back to those things. And so uh, the way that... um, so brilliant that so St. Augustine writes about it. And he talks about the, kind of one of the chief objectives of Christianity is to continually uh, reorder your loves. And he says that when we get off on any of these tangential things where we put our hope and stuff in, it's always because second things have become first things. Mm-hmm. Right? We've taken things that should not be first things and made them first things, right? That sometimes, I mean, well, here's the big one, right? Some of you fully believed in Jesus, and then your son died at war, right? And that first thing for you is Jesus keeps my son safe, and he's no longer safe. Or you believed in Jesus, and you knew he's going to come through in your marriage, and your spouse left. That second thing became a first thing. And so I don't know what the second things becoming first things are for these disciples, but there is something. And when you ask these questions about, well, is that what happens? But if you have this power, what happens? Well, what ends up happening is that second thing becomes the first thing. And almost always, guys, what that's, that second thing is, is our comfort, our security, our own preservation. Self-preservation creeps in. You can literally see it with a guy who boldly claimed, I don't care what they do, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's faced with this moment where he sees Jesus get brutally beat. Now he's wondering if they're going to do the same to him. They come mm-hmm. to him and he completely lies. That's Peter, right? Because what happens? A second thing is comfort, security, which are fair things, right? His love for his family, fair things, good things. Those things move from second place to first place. And so over and over again, what you see is this progression. You even see it with these disciples, right? And so they're arguing. Now, we have seen an argument that happened with James and John. These brothers who are arguing where they get to sit. And they go, Mama wants to know, right? (laughs) These are the guys who just saw the transfiguration. So what happens? Second things become first things. So all of a sudden, what ends up happening is their greatness, their might, their comfort, their security, their legacy becomes priority. So Jesus, it says, uh, he he looked at them after saying, let these words stick in your ears, the Son of Man is about to be delivered. He says, you have the wrong expectations. Let me tell you, you have the wrong expectations. You think it's going to be that I'm going to rain down fire, which is what we're going to talk about this week, and forgiveness and that. Man, that is not what's going to happen. In fact, hell is going to rain down on me. That's what's going to happen. So he tells them. They're not quite ready. He understands that. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them. So they're not ready. And so what do they do? They go back to their old ways. Go back to their second loves. And Jesus says, knowing the reason of their hearts, knowing that all of a sudden they were arguing about their greatness because it's about their second loves taking place back to the first love, which should be Jesus, should be his kingdom. And then he takes someone and goes, let me just show you a kid who's not thinking about those things. Yeah. Let me show you a kid who hasn't been taught that it's about his comfort or his security. Let me show you a kid who hasn't been taught that it's about his greatness or his performance. Yeah. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. He just wakes up and lives in a kingdom he's been given. You've been given a kingdom. Why can't you wake up and live in it? Yeah. Right? So that's, I think, what we see play out over. At least that's what plays out in my life. Right? Yeah, no, I think so. I think that's good. As So that was kind of 43. Great question. Thanks for asking it. 43. So that same power does live in us. But that power, every single time, is to be used for Jesus' greatness, not for your own. Yeah. So what ends up happening is we go, oh, God gave me this power, right? Now I'm going to build it. Rebuke that. Do that. Yeah. See that. And it's like, well, no, no. 
God didn't give you his power and authority to build your own kingdom. Like the very last thing he would do is come through in those moments where it could give you one more idol to turn your back on him. So why would he give you his power and his authority over the very things that are going to make you more of an idol worshiper and less of a God worshiper? So... I am curious. So as we get to 49 and 50, it seems like these are almost out of place. Like there's, there's this random story. How does that tie into? So it's this is where John, it says, uh, this is right after he says, for he who is the least among you um, is who will be great. So using the child as an illustration. Yeah. And then he says, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. So, so interesting. So let's think about this. So this is still more first, second love reordering, okay. right? Master, we saw someone doing something in your name. Okay, great, great. That's good, good, good. We're in the right spot. That's the first love. That's the first love. His name. For his name's sake, right? Even when we think about the, the Lord is my shepherd, we read Psalm 23. We think it's because we're supposed to go to green pastures and he makes us lie down, ain't it? And he literally says, for his namesake. The whole yeah. purpose that he's a good shepherd is for his namesake. Yeah. Not for ours. Not for our benefit. Not for our comfort. It's for his glory. And that is a good thing. Because he's the only one who deserves the glory. And it will work out well for us. And he is our prize, not our things. right? And so you see this over and over again. So they go, Master, he's doing these things in your name. Like, oh, that's good, good, good. But he's not following us. You see that? Like, one is about Jesus. The other is about them. And so... What's so interesting here, and this um, this passage actually gets mistranslated and misused all the time because people read it and go, oh, see, they're all talking about the kingdom. No, no, he's saying whoever's not against you is for you. This isn't even about the kingdom stuff. Mm. This is just logical. He's just going, You're, how in the world do you focus over there? He's not bothering you. He's doing something for me, but he's not doing something for you. And you're mad because he's not doing something for you because he's just doing mm. something for me. This isn't about you, right? So let's not even make this about kingdom right now. Look, is he getting in your way? Is he standing in you, your ability to do what God's called you to do? Then shut up. It really is that simple, right? Like, we are, let's go back to the picture of this from Raphael. This, all these guys pointing fingers. And he's going, look, you're just pointing fingers. Yeah. I didn't tell you to assess the problems. I already told you what the problem is. Here's the problem. Broken and distorted generation. What's the solution to the problem? I am. Well, how do I get into this problem? Through you. So your job is to let me live through you and go and deal with the problem. Not go and assess all the other ones. Yeah. Right? And so this is actually a pretty logical situation so they went we're seeing this and going okay what are the spiritual implications like what is, that's what i'm thinking he's going no no no. listen he's not against you he's yeah. not in your way he's not an obstacle like he's way over here you were called to walk straight down this path while you look over here all it's doing is making you divert and go to a different path he is not stopping you she is not slowing you down they are not in your way yeah so he's literally going, look, if he's not against you, oh, and you'll know if he's against you, right? Keyboard warriors, they'll know. He's not against you. So let's just call it what it is. He's for you. You know why? Because everybody else who is against you will be in your way. So anyone who's not in your way and moving up the kingdom, they're on your team, bro. Yeah. Right? So it is, it's so it's, logical and reasonable, but we want to, I think we want to extra spiritualize it. Go, yeah. Okay, what exactly does this mean? What well, means exactly what it means? Yeah. It's not for you. So a lot of times people go, no, he's talking about, see, they're all on the same team, all working for the same kingdom. I think this guy is because he's having some power and authority speaking the name of Jesus. Yeah. But this isn't even about like the movement of the kingdom. He's just going, 
let me get it all the way back. Let me bring that camera back and let me focus it right yeah. there on your soul so that you can feel personal responsibility for what the Lord's called, what I've called you to do. Yeah, I, this, as you were talking, it reminded me of a time. So I, at a season of my life, I did school assemblies, but I had a mentor who kind of showed me the ropes. And I remember there was a school that had contacted me that was kind of in his area. Mm. And I'll never forget his response because I feel like it helped shape me. And I feel like yeah. it's exactly what you're talking about. So I remember calling him going, hey, I got this school, but I could hand that off to you. And he mm. was like, dude, I am much more interested in building the kingdom of God yeah. than my little corner of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just thought, as you were talking about it, that's what we should be concerned with, building the kingdom of God, and not focused on, okay, I've got this little part, yeah. and I get to do this, and, yeah. and I'm excited because I get to build my kingdom while yeah. building Jesus' kingdom. So that just reminded me of that. Yeah, so what I hope happens here is that it turns the mirror back on you. Yeah. Because our natural inclination is when we feel discomfort in any way, we want to draw the attention elsewhere. And the best place to draw attention is someone who's a bigger buffoon than you are. Yeah. So most of our focus, even in the church world, is to talk about what other churches are doing wrong, mm. other practices they shouldn't do, and it's going, hey, couldn't we just really, really care about yeah. what God's called us to and called you to? Shouldn't we care about that? Like, should we, could we not get distracted about all those things mm. in this world and all those fears and worries out there somewhere? If there's not an obstacle between you and your neighbor, that's your mission. Yeah. Right? It's just really that simple. And if someone gets in the way of that, then let's have a problem with it. If not, you just walk straight across the driveways and go and make a meal, make some cookies, go and love your neighbor as yourself. That certainly seems what it applies. Every time there's not someone standing in the way of you being able to engage with a friend or someone, praise God, because that means there's no one in your way, which means you get to usher in the kingdom right there. Yeah. So. Mags, who's... Uh online with us she, oh, hey, Maggie. she, she would love a, a t-shirt that says don't let second things become first things yeah so. there might be one somewhere <laughs> it's a saint augustine quote uh yeah. i i in my dark moments nine months ago when i came out of the uh, ditch i just started reading a lot of saint augustine because i just wanted to hear what an old man and an old you know words had to say about brokenness in life and he just seemed to have some real um, emotional intelligence and some awareness of his own flaws and brokenness and a commitment to who God was in his kingdom. And so, I don't I can, uh, yeah, so uh, really good good writing yeah. by him. And I, I, then Tim Keller does some good work yeah. uh, explaining more of the, you know, I think he even talks about it in Counterfeit Gods, maybe mm. that's the one where he talks about idolatry as first things become the second thing. Mm. So there's some good stuff there. Not well, my thoughts. We've got uh, about two minutes left or so. Anything else that you wanted to add? Anything that you didn't get a cover on Sunday or? Um, just any final thoughts? Yeah, so, um, so if you were with us on Sunday, I got this clock, it's ticking down. Not, honestly, we got kids' ministry. We got not being able to have baby ministry right now, which maybe one of the things I just challenge you with is maybe one of your next right steps is just jumping in. No one's yeah. in your way to help serve in kids' ministry. One of the big hang-ups we have that are actual obstacles is our volunteer numbers, particularly uh, for, for our infants, has gone way down. And the reason being is... For the longest time, that was kind of the grandparent generation who was doing that. Yeah. Praise Jesus. So thankful for that. So you boomers out there who are doing that. And then COVID happened, and, there, you know, there was restrictions, and rightfully so. There was some danger and all that. And So I just would say in some of those things, hey, uh, if you had your vaccination, uh, maybe it's time for you to jump right in somewhere. If it's not there, somewhere, and living life like Jesus is living through you. And that's the one challenge I would offer you and tell you, can we, can we please help you with it is – I mean, could, can we help you find and follow whatever God's plan is for you? Mm -hmm. Just 
not the whole thing. We don't know that this, but just whatever that next right step is. If it's finding community, live life like Jesus is living through you because he is, then let's help you do that. If it's finding a place to use your gifts or talents or your free time, would you just let us know? You can email me personally, joshacclcfamily.church, and I'd be happy to help you do that. You can text us at 610-869-2140. So what I... What I would have liked us more time on, and why I really love that Mike and Lord Wooden came up, is I just wanted you to see some tangible ways that you usher in the kingdom. And so, please, 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 I am convinced that you have gifts and a calling and a mandate from the scriptures to go and participate and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. If you don't know what those things are, please, please, please let us help you. If you know what they are and you don't see room within our church, let us know. We'll find some room. Right now, we're actually praying very diligently about two things about leaders in intercessory prayer. So if that's something you go, that's my role in the kingdom, would you would you let us know? The other one is we're trying to discern whether or not God wants us to use our 66, 67 acres here to build a big community garden, but it needs a champion. Our staff is uh, fully loaded with more than I would like for them to be managing right now. So maybe that's you, and maybe you go, yep, yep, I can't have some administrative gifts. Or, Boy, do I love those things. Again, would you uh, make yourself known and those things be really, really important. And what I would have liked to spend a few more minutes wrapping up the Mike and Laura interview is just, and I shared it very briefly, and I'll share it briefly again, is I love that image of Raphael in 1516 starting this, being so taken aback by this story. Now here we are, 500 years later, still telling this story and showcasing the story of the, the juxtaposition of God's glory and the world's brokenness, right? And he doesn't finish the painting because he dies, and just think it's so glorious that an apprentice picks up the paintbrush and yeah. keeps on going, and Jesus actually came and established his kingdom, but it hasn't made it to every nook and cranny of our world, every nook and cranny of culture, right? And so what he's doing is he's going, I came to give you my spirit. Here's the paintbrush. Now go and live life like Jesus is living through you because he is. So now it's just time to go, okay, God, what is it you're calling me to paint? Where Where's the outline? And where do you want me just to paint some solids? Or where do you want me to mix some paints or whatever that is? So would you please, please, please sit still with God and ask him to reveal to you? He will right? Because uh, whatever you ask in his name, that's in his name and likeness he, to reveal the, uh, what he wants you to jump into. He'll do that. If you have some trouble, just let us know. We'd be happy to uh, uh, jump in that um, those moments of discernment with you. Love you guys. That's it. That's all I got. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Really hope that you're challenged and encouraged by this. As always, if you have questions, please email us over time at clcfamily.church or again, you can text us at 610-869-2140. Hope you have a great week. We hope to see you next week. And please let us know if you have any questions or we can serve you in any way. So have a great week. Thanks.